the thief comes not except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have an enjoy life, life in abundance until it overflows. Discover how to live the abundant life in Christ through the ministry of Pastor Oseyao Afwakwa. Pastor Afwakwa is the founder and general overseer of Embassy of Life Chapel, a thriving ministry headquartered in Kumasi with a network of churches in Kumasi and Accra, Ghana. God has commissioned him to train believers through the teaching of the good news of the kingdom to know God better, live life better, and impact the world better. Get set for an empowerment that will enable you to live a life of all-round victory, success, and limitless prosperity. God bless you as you listen. We are glad to have you join us in this service. Come with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 1 to 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 1 to 13. He said, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. And nevertheless, with most of them, please take note of that word, it's very critical, not few of them, with most of them, the Bible says, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. And he tells us why that happened. He says, now these things took place as examples for us that we may not desire, somebody say desire, desire, desire evil as they did. That was the key. Their desires led them astray. And that is very, very critical. Now that you are born again, you are a new creation. All things are passed away and the new has come. You have to have a way to manage and take charge of your desire. Very, very important. One of the best gifts God gave to all of us is desire. But when desire is let loose, it can create serious problems. Everybody has it. You have it, I have it. All of us have it. But if you don't manage your desire and you allow your desire to lead you, life can be very disastrous. He said, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Now grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happen to them as an example. Somebody say it's an example. But they were written for our Oh, they were written for our Please respond to me. They were written for our They are examples written to instruct us. This are some of the scriptures you read and when you hear a preacher blasting and destroying the Old Testament, you know that he doesn't know the Bible. And you hear the way some preachers can pick up the Old Testament and they make it look like it's not part of the Bible because their emphasis is on the New Testament. You see that they've gotten the whole thing wrong. The whole scripture, there is no place in the Bible you won't find Christ. Somebody say Christ is the team of the Bible. Say Christ is the team of the Bible. If you meet a preacher who cannot preach Christ from the Old Testament, he may not be able to preach him better in the New Testament. You have to be able to identify Christ. He's a team. And one of these days, 
I'll be walking you through unveiling Christ from the scriptures so that you will understand some of these things when we just throw them off the hook like that when we are teaching. Now he says, now these things happened to them as example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Okay. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take he lest he falls. You've received grace, you are anointed, you have the Holy Ghost and all of that. But be careful. Somebody say, be careful. No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. All of that he said to bring you to this place. But God is faithful and he will not let you to be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Okay, so we'll be looking at overcoming giants. Somebody say overcoming giants. Say overcoming giants. Say, I'm born to overcome giants. I overcome giants. I dominate giants. I rule over giants. Now, you have to understand that your power is in your tongue. The Bible said, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the food thereof. So, when the word of God is on your tongue like that, it's working amazing things. Say it with me. I am born as a child of God. I have a DNA of a victor. I walk in victory. I walk in dominion. I'm more than a conqueror through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things. I walk in health. I walk in perfect soundness. I walk in peace. I walk in righteousness. I walk in boldness because Christ is my life. Christ it's my life. Okay, so we are talking about overcoming giants. And one of the giants we need to overcome if we are going to be the men and women God has called us to be is the giant of temptation. Somebody say giant temptation. So we've gone and then we, we want to zero in on giant. There are many, many giants. But we are looking at the giant temptation because giant temptation is a very very strong thing when we started this thing now one of the things i want you to know tonight is that victory over sin begins with mastery over temptation somebody say victory over sin, victory over sin. begins with mastery, begins with mastery. Over, temptation. over temptation you can meet people who have struggled with certain habits over and over again and they confess they go back to it they confess they go back to it they call it a stronghold and some of them think that it's a matter of deliverance. So where they meet pastors who believe in that court deliverance in that court, they will go for deliverance again and again. They will fall down, vomit. And when they rise up, they go back and they are still trapped with the same things. I'm showing you how to overcome some of such things. You confess again, go back to you. It doesn't have to be. When you understand temptation and you know how to deal with temptation, you won't have to. That's, that's the first key to mastering sin. If you can't master temptation, sin will dominate your life. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Yeah. Sin will dominate your life. That's why it's important that you understand this teaching very, very well. It's actually a book that I started two years ago, but I have not gone back to it. <laughs> so that's where it starts from. We started by exploring 13 truths every Christian must know about temptation. Somebody say 13 truths. Every Christian must know about what? The first one we said that no one is exempted from what? Temptation. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, you are not exempted from temptation. 
So be careful. Now, we said that temptation is not sin. Temptation is not a sin. Temptation to be tempted is not to sin. Temptations do not come from God. And then we said that no believer has immunity against falling into temptation. You don't have an immunity from falling into temptation. And we said every temptation is common. Somebody say temptations are common. Then, of course, we said that temptations come principally from the devil. Somebody say it comes from the devil. Temptations comes from where? Yeah. It comes from where? Yeah. Now, I said principally in quotes. And I'll be explaining the quotation there. Because most of the time, we blame the devil when we should be blaming ourselves. Uh-huh. So, don't get excited and say, oh, okay. So, the devil is really responsible. You will soon find out that he is actually not responsible. He baits you and then you fall for it. Okay, the temptations you face are customized to you. Somebody say, my temptations... Are customized to me. Then we said, no temptation comes your way without prior approval from God. And that should be a word of assurance. Every temptation you face, God is aware it's coming to you. And then we said, every temptation that comes your way, there's a way of escape. Is it not exciting? Say, there's a way of escape. Say, I have a way of escape. Then we said that falling into temptation is a choice and never an accident. Somebody say, it's a choice. Say, when I fall into temptation, it's because I chose to fall into it. Say, when I fall into temptation, it's because I've chosen to fall into it. All right, so falling into temptation is a choice. Okay, it's a choice for the believer. The unbeliever has the sin nature, so he doesn't have much of a choice. But you, the believer, you have God's righteous nature. So, it's not your DNA to want to fall or to want to sin. That's why the Bible said, he that is born of God cannot sin because his seed abided in him. He has his nature in him, so he cannot sin. He will not want to live a life of sin. Okay. Now, we said that falling into temptation is never the end of your spiritual journey with God. I think that is also hopeful. If you have fallen into temptation before, it doesn't mean that God has written you off. God cannot work with you again. It does mean that he's giving you another chance and you have another opportunity to do what is right, not to continue. Are you with me here? That's key. And then we said that God rewards those who overcome temptation. Somebody say there's something to receive. When you overcome temptation. James 1.12, he said, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he's tried, he shall receive. There's something to receive after you have gone through the trial. You will receive the great reward. I said you will see the reward. Let me hear believing amen. Amen. All right. So we are looking at the origin of temptation. Somebody say the origin of temptation. James clearly tells us that temptations do not come from God. James 1.13. He said, let no man say when he am tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither does he tempt any man. God does not tempt anyone. So, where then does temptation come from? God says, I'm not part of it. God says, I'm not part of it. Somebody say, God is not part of it. God is not part of it. it. So, we can't blame him for any temptation we ever get to face. Temptations do not come from God. But let's go to Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1 to 3 and we see that somebody is part of a thing. God is not part of it. So, in the temptation equation, God is out. 
Matthew 4. Then was Jesus led of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the tempted of the devil. So God is not part, but Satan is coming in. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, when he had, afterwards he was hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. So right from there, we see there's a tempter. Satan came to tempt, and then the Bible describes him as a tempter. So there is a tempter. Now, if there is a tempter, how does he get to tempt us? That is basically going to be the area we are going to be playing around this week and maybe next week. And then we'll continue to look at how we can overcome it. We see the tempter first appearing in the book of Genesis. That's where he appeared first. The tempter appeared in the form of a serpent. Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more crafty, subtle, skilled in the seat than any living creature of the field which the Lord God had made. And the serpent, Satan, I like the amplifier. So he identifies him there as Satan. Why? Because this is the first book of the Bible and he needs us to know who he's referring to as a serpent here. When you go to Revelations, we see that the name Satan also comes up clearly. And he's there, he's identified as a serpent. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought and his angels. Verse 8, he says... And prevailed not, neither was a place found anymore for him in heaven. And there the great dragon was cast out. And you know, the great dragon that was cast out was the devil. If you are not sure, he gives you detail. That old what? Why does he call him the old serpent? Because that's the serpent that appeared in Genesis. That's why he's old serpent. Then he said, the old serpent called the devil and Satan. All his names are here. With deceived the whole world, he was cast into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Somebody say the serpent, the, serpent, the, old, devil, the old devil, Satan, Satan, the deceiver. Okay, so that is Satan. If you want to know everything about him, that's him. We will mask him someday to come. But we are looking at how does he work? He is a tempter. We have come to understand that. But how does he work to tempt us? How does temptations come? How temptations come? That's what we are looking at. James 1.12, how temptations come. James 1.12, blessed is the man that endures temptation. When he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which he had promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of the devil. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted he any man. But every man, look at verse uh, 14, I like this one, because that's where we are seeing how temptations come. Satan is a tempter, but this is how temptations come. But every man is tempted. So, God is not part of the temptation equation. So, Satan and man collaborate. Somebody says it's a collaboration. Between Satan and man. Yeah, it's a collaboration. That's, it. That's where it happens. He said, for every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Somebody say, drawn and enticed. Drawn and enticed. Then he said, so if there is an enticement, it's assumed that there's somebody providing the enticement. And that is Satan. If you have ever done fishing before, you see how they do it. The fish with hook. You entice the fish with a small worm at the tip of the hook. And then you put it in. And after putting it in the water for a short time, you see that some things are, <laughs> some small water is bubbling around it. And when it gets hooked up, you see it. You begin to feel it in your hand. You just pull it out. By the time the fish says jack, it's already been hooked. That is how Satan does it. Strategically hooks you. 
<laughs> and so we want to know how he hooks us so that we can stop him from hooking us. He will hook you again. Yeah. All right, so temptations come when the tempter draws us. With what? Please take note of the, the words that have been placed in inverted comments. When the tempter do what? Wait. Through where? To. And give. Culminating in. That is how this thing happens. There's a drawing. There's a desire. There's a decision. There's a design. And there's disobedience. Temptation is actually Satan trying to bait you to disobey God. But he does it, first of all, by drawing you. Somebody say draw. Draw. Desire. Desire. Decide. Decide. Design. Design. Disobey. Now, this one I would fully (laughs) exegit in the book. But let's just continue. Seven things and situations the tempter uses to tempt and trap us. That's what we are. Seven things. So Satan wants to trap you. How does he do it? Satan wants to trap you. How does he do it? Seven things and situations he uses to tempt and trap us. Number one is evil desires or lust for evil things. Somebody say evil desires or lust for evil things. Say it with me. Evil desires or lust for evil things. You remember where we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 6. He said, now this things took place as example for us that we might not desire evil as they did. We might not desire. Somebody say we might not desire. We might not desire. Yeah, because James chapter 1 verse 13 to 14 tells us. He said, let no man say I'm tempted of God, but God cannot be tempted by it. Each man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Somebody say my desires, my desires. must be controlled. My desires must be tamed. Very, 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 very important. There's a desire of the spirit and there's a desire of your flesh. And the desire of the flesh must be tamed in order for the desires of the spirit to have expression. So, it's key we appreciate that it's our desire. That's where it starts from. Temptations will not come without desire. There's a desire in you Satan is using to bait you. He uses your desires to entice you. And that is what we see happen to the man Esau from the very beginning. There was a desire, natural desire. And most of these desires, some of them are good. Now, in fact, most of the desires we have, God gave them to us. They are legitimate desires. But when we fall into temptation, when we use legitimate desire to fulfill illegitimate things, that's usually what happens. There's a desire to eat. But when you eat and by food, because of food, you begin to destroy the kingdom of God. You have entered into another zone. <laughs> All right. Now let's look at Genesis here. Genesis 25, verse 29 to 34. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, um, for I'm exhausted. Tell to your neighbor, say, Be careful. Of other people's stew. <laughs> when he saw it, he says, Give me. Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. Somebody say, Give it to me now. Say, Give it to me now. Listen to Esau. Esau said, I am about to die. It's dangerous. I'm teaching on attitudes in the Excel service. 
How you describe your situation is very, very important. I'm about to die. No, he was exhausted. He had come from the farm. He was hungry, but about to die, I'm not sure. About to die, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. He says, I'm about to die. Of what use is birth right to me? And most of the time, there are precious things we throw away because we think we are about to die. You throw it away, and later you realize that you have not died. <laughs> and we end up regretting serious things in life because we took decisions at the time we felt we were going to die. A young man, you don't know the future God has for you, so you decided to live a loose life. And then in the future, God brings you to a certain place, and all of a sudden, some of these things you did in your youth, they begin to come chasing you. Very critical. Now look at what he says. Jacob said, swear to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. And he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. He did what? Now let's look at the CEV version, verse 34. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some of the bean stew. <laughs> <laughs> and when he saw had finished eating and drinking, he just got up and left, showing how little he thought of his right as a firstborn. There are things when we do, the underlying fact is that we are not thinking very deep. Got up and left, and he felt that everything was okay. No, everything was not okay at all. At all. Now, if you read the book of Hebrews, you see the, how painful his end became. Now, I don't mean to condemn anybody, but I just want you to understand that there are some things that we lose when we give in to our flesh and our lust that we may never get back in this life. Now, you have to understand that. There are things you may lose through a moment of pleasure and satisfaction, fleshly satisfaction. You may never get them back. As for God's forgiveness is guaranteed, but there are some things that when you lose because of some of these things, you may never get them back. Your relationship with God notwithstanding. The benefits of it notwithstanding. Maybe some other time to come, I would give you some practical cases of things that like that, that has happened in this life. Yeah. You wish that you are not taking that step and yet it will be too late. Look at Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 to 17. He said, pursue peace. He was talking about the need to be careful how we live our lives. He said, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Verse 15, he said, looking carefully, take note of the word carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many be defiled. Verse 16, lest there be any fornicator. Look, Esau traded his birthright over food and his life compared to a fornicator. He traded his birthright. He says, Let's be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for a morsel of bread sold his birthright. Verse 17. Ah, for you know afterward. Somebody say afterward. afterward. Yes. When he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. He found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. He cried and cried and cried. It was too late. What is it that you are trading with? That by the time your eyes are open, may be too late. What is it that you are into? That by the time your eyes are open, it will be too late. He sought it. 
Now, let's read the New Living Translation. Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you will fail to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up trouble you, corrupting many. Make sure, somebody say make sure. Make sure that no immoral or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright as firstborn son for a single meal. Somebody say a single meal. Just one act, one time, one moment of satisfaction, whether it was emotional satisfaction, sexual satisfaction, that was it. Everything went. He says, you know that afterward, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. Okay, so between Esau and his father, it was too late for repentance. Between you and God, repentance is guaranteed. But what you lose in the process can never be given back to you. Am I communicating here? Very, very important. Very important. Desire. Desire for food. Desire for pleasure. Desire. You have to manage your desires very, very well. Your desire for money. Your desire for sex. Your desire. All of those desires have to be tamed. They have to be what? They have to be tamed. Jesus, Satan came to him. He said, all this power I will give you. If Jesus had not tamed his desire for power, he would have fallen for Satan. Satan said, I'll give it to you. You don't need to go through all of these things. Why should you struggle and this thing? There's one uh, uh, juju man on the Sunyani road. Let's go there. He will expand your business, explode it for you. I will sort you out. It was too late. He took him. Look at the 4, verse 5 to 6. And the devil taking him up into a high mountain showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this power. Somebody say, all this power. All this power I will give thee. All this power I will give thee. All this power. So your desire for power. That people do anything for power. Whether it's in the office in politics, in the family, they'll do anything. Now, people can even destroy their own siblings just because they want to appear more powerful than their siblings. Consult all kinds of mediums. Listen, it's very deadly. Yeah, All this I will give you. Jesus said, no, that's not why I'm here. And then, of course, your desire for fame in this YouTube generation, instant hate generation, People are doing all kinds of things. And pastors, the competition pastors go through this. It's not small. If you don't know what God has called you to do, you'll be, you'll be found in the frenzy. All kinds of things. People do all kinds of things. Just to appear successful in ministry. They want to have a certain look. Have a certain presentation. Come out and appeal to certain, to appear successful. You don't need to appear successful. You are already a success in Christ. Yeah. I'm not communicating here. Yeah. Key. Desire for fame. I want to be this. I want to be that. I want, listen, in your life, don't desire to be anything other than what God wants you to be. Are you with me here? Yeah. If there is anything you must desire above everything else, is to desire to be all that God will have you be. So that's where it starts from. What you want to be is not I want to be, I want to be. God, what do you want me to be? That's more important than anything in life. So that's key. Evil desires. Somebody say evil desires. And let me tell you, the fact that you are born again does not mean that you don't have evil desires. Evil desires come to all of us. They come to all of us. I'm a pastor. I have evil desires. Evil thoughts come to my head. And if you have gotten the cure and the medicine that will make you immune from evil desires and evil thoughts, give me some. I'll be grateful. Yeah. 
They come to all of us. You have to take hold and deal with that. So evil desires, and I use it in a generic sense, but we also have sexual desires. Somebody say sexual desires. Uh-huh. That is another level. Sexual desires. Sexual desires. First Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4. He says, The wife does not have exclusive authority over her own body, but the husband shares with her. And likewise, the husband does not have exclusive authority over his body, but the wife shares with him. Verse 5. He says, Do not deprive each other of marital right, except perhaps by mutual consent for a time, so that you may devote yourselves unhindered to prayer, but come together again, so that Satan will not tempt. Satan will not what? Satan will not tempt you to sin because of your lack of self-control. Satan will not tempt you. Satan will not tempt you. Are you with me here? He says that has to be controlled or Satan will take advantage of it to tempt you. Sexual desire. All of us have it. How many of you don't have it? They are not here. Yeah. But you have to control it. You have to control it. You have to control it. If you are single, you control it. If you are married, you control it. I tell people all the time, if you don't learn to control this thing, <laughs> do you understand what I'm saying? If you don't learn to control this thing, whatever this thing means for you, <laughs> if you don't learn to control it, before marriage, and even in marriage, you have crisis. There are people who think that once I marry and I have a hot sexual partner, I'll be fine. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. You have to control it. You have to learn to control yourself. Something, anything he saw, he wanted. That's how he lost his destiny. A strong man. A strong man was brought to his knees. His eyes were gushed out. Simply because uh, he was strong physically, but weak emotionally. The Bible says a man who has no rule over his spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Who have no rule over his spirit. You are muscular. You are well built. But what of your spirit? Your spirit is so lanky. It's almost like a broomstick. Yeah. So whatever feeling you get, you act on it. If you feel like taking a bottle of Guinness, you pick it and you are gone. If you want to have a sex uh, with three different girls in one night, you just move on and you are flowing just like that. Because you can't control yourself. No, so for I deal with the Yeah. And then they'll say it's in our bloodline. Which bloodline do you belong anyway? I thought if any man be in Christ is a new creature, all things are passed away. There's only one bloodline, and that bloodline is a perfect bloodline. It's a bloodline that cleanses, it's a bloodline that, if you are clapping, you better clap where. I am just rehearsing this message. I'm trying to shape it. I'll bring it to Sunday. <laughs> yeah. How many of you think it will be a good message for Sunday, Sunday Christians? <laughs> it doesn't mean that all of us, we don't need it. We all need it. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 to 5. He said, God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. How do you stay away from sexual sin? By staying away from sexual temptation. Are you with me there? I told you that victory over sin begins with victory over temptation. Is that not what I said? That's what I said. So if you overcome sexual temptations, you have overcome sexual sin. Because you won't get there. For this is the will of God. Even your sanctification. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Then each of you. Now say each of you. Each of you. 
There are things, when you get born again, there are things. Yesterday, I was going somewhere with Silas and uh, his uh, Godson, and he was asking me a lot of questions. And I was just sharing some thoughts with him. There are things that God does for you, and God has done for you already in Christ. As a believer, as a new Christian, there are many things God has done for you already. We call them the finished works of Christ. Now, it is on the basis of the finished work of Christ you will now do anything. So you will pray from a position of rest, not from a position of works. All right? Christ has finished it. He's paid the ultimate price for sin and its effect and its struggle over man. So when you stand on that ground, you are able to express his nature and righteousness easily. Are you with me here? There are things Christ has done for you. There are things the Holy Spirit is still doing in you and through you and for you. And let me also tell you, there are things you have to take responsibility for. Somebody said, there are things I have to take responsibility for. Even the Holy Spirit does not just work with you without you. (laughs) He doesn't work with you without you. If he's going to work with you and through you, he has to work with you. He works with you. He works with you. That's why what the Holy Spirit seeks to do. If you don't create the prayer room for him to do it, he can do it. All of us have the gift of the Spirit in us. Why is it that they are not finding expression in you? Because there's a certain atmosphere that has to be created for the gift to be released. Are you with me here? Very, very important. Very important. So we have to say, then each of you, let's go back to that text, let's read it. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 to 5. I'm reading from verse 4. Then each of you, somebody say each of you. Each of you. What I meant to say here is that there are things nobody can do for you but you. Yeah, I can't control your body for you. I can't control your mind for you. You must control it yourself. You will continue to have depressive thoughts, suicidal thoughts until you take charge of your mind. I cannot do that for you. I can cast away the spirit of oppression out of your life through prayer. But I cannot feed your mind with the right things that will keep you going if you don't take responsibility. Very critical. Number three, we are looking at things that Satan uses to do what? Tempt us and trap us. Number three is the things of this world. Somebody say the things of this world. Oh, the things of this world. Jesus said, Though you are in the world, you are not of the world. Somebody say, I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. Say, I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. Okay, so you have to understand that we are in the world, but we are not of the world. And because we are not of the world, we cannot fall in love with the world. Somebody say, I'm not of the world, so I cannot fall in love with the world. Yeah, you cannot. You cannot. You are not of the world, so you cannot fall in love with the world. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, do not love the world. It's an instruction. Don't do it because you won't like the consequences of doing so. Don't do it. Don't love the world, nor the things in the world. For if any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's straightforward, simple and straight. If you meet a Christian who is so madly in love with the world, And at another time, I will show you a lover of the world. A Christian who loves the world. You see it. Those people will go for jams. They will choose uh, funerals and jams, birthday parties over fellowship meetings. 
They love the world. They love things that do not edify them spiritually, challenge them spiritually. They can walk through the rain and go to work, but won't go through the rain to come to church. They love the world. They love money. They love the pride, the prestige that the world offers. The Bible said, don't do it. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't do it. Turn to the person and say, don't do it. And tell him, I've stopped doing it. He said, don't love the word. If anyone loves the word, the love of the Father is not him. Go on, go on, go on, go on. He said, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away. And the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Can somebody say glory? That's what happens. The one who does God's will, the world will pass away. The beauty, the glories of it. It will pass away. But the one who does the will of God, you will abide forever. I say you will abide forever. So the Bible tells us, in fact, there are many instructions concerning the believer's relationship with the world. How we should relate with the world. The apostles took time under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to give us clear relationship. There's a way a Christian must be relate to the things of a world. The pleasures of a world. The beauties, the riches of a world. There's a way you relate with them. Almost all the apostles. Peter and Apostle Paul in particular. He said, do not be conformed to the things of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what Apostle Paul said. And when you come to Peter, Peter says, listen, you guys are not of the world. He was just affirming what Jesus told them. You are in the world, but you are not of the world. And he said, dear friends, I own you as temporary citizens and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Can you see that? Can you see that? So the world is at war with you. So you can't love someone who is seeking to kill you. Not in that context. That the context they used to uh, die by fire by force. That's not what I'm talking about. But we are talking about the world which is trying to extinguish the fire of God in you. You can't. You can't love that. He said, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Now go back to the verse 11. He said, I warn you, you are, you are here for a short time. Somebody say, we are here for a short time. We are here for you are here for a short time. When you are a visitor in a nation, you can't go and say, on the day of your return, I'm going to shop. <laughs> when you get to the airport, I remember one time I was in South Africa and I, I, when we were coming back, I saw this lady who, they seized her passport. They seized her passport and they told her in the next five or ten years, she was banned from coming to South Africa. She had gone to South Africa on a short stay and she stayed there for 10 solid years. <laughs> you see, there's always a time you will be caught. 10 years! This is a passport. They say, that's it. That's it. <laughs> when you are a visitor in a country and I pray that when Christ comes, your passport will not be seized. Amen. We are here for an assignment for a purpose and we need to be conscious of that. Increasingly, Christians have become so worldly. The things of the world matter so much to us that eternal things are increasingly lost value. You go to most churches and when you are preaching and you are not connecting it to something somebody will get in the flesh, they don't see why they should spend their lives for the Lord. They love the world. When you look at the early apostles, the Bible said they love not their lives, even unto death. We love our lives so much that 
Even when God says we should go, we want to stay. I'm going to be 120 years, 140 years. 100, what will you be doing with 140 years in this body? I mean, listen, I believe in long life. But I mean, somebody was praying for me, say you'll be 150. I said, I don't want it. I mean, what will I be doing with 150 in this frail body? No. 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 Living longer, I will live long. But certainly not at an age where I will now become a liability. You are born as a liability. Why should I also die as a liability? You know when you are born, you are a liability. The moment you are born, until the, from the time you are a child until you get to the age of independence, where Ghana puts it at 18, you are a liability. And there are people who are even 40 and they are still liabilities. May that never be your testimony. So you are a liability for almost 20 years. And then in your old age, when other people should move on with their lives, your grandchildren should move on with their lives, and they are saying, be carrying you, Papa, give you uh, this thing to poo in, all of those things. Listen, I don't like that kind of nonsense. Am I communicating here? Yeah. <laughs> number, number four, right? The love of money or riches. The love of money. That's another thing Satan uses to tempt us. The love of money. The love of money. Somebody say the love of money. How many of you like money like me? You like money like me. You like money like me. <laughs> it's a good thing to like money. <laughs> but it's a dangerous thing to love money. Like money, don't love it. <laughs> the Bible says in First Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 to 9, it said, but godliness with contentment is what? Great gain. Great gain. Somebody say great gain. Great gain. Uh -huh. So listen, in life, Wise people always will opt for great gain. Go for the great gain. Other things are okay. But unfortunately, a lot of people have abandoned the great gain and they are chasing fantasies, useless stuff. He said, for we brought nothing into this world and it's certain, somebody say it's certain, it's certain. that your limo will not go with you. Tell the person, it is certain. It is certain. Your, your, your plane will not go with you. Your private jet will not go with you. Your house will not go with you. Your dream car will not go with you. Yeah. Whatever that dream car is, may the Lord give it to you. Amen. But understand that when the time comes, you will leave it. Okay. <laughs> you will leave it. That's why you have to humble yourself. One of the attitudes I've been looking at is the attitude to life. What attitude must we have towards life? What should be your attitude towards life? Towards things. Possessions. What should be your attitude towards them? It's certain we can carry nothing out. Then he says, having food and raiment, let us be there with what? Having food and raiment, let us be what? Amen. Then he said, they that will be rich. Their sole aim, when he says they that will be rich, means their sole objective. Me, I want to be rich. Ah, I was born into a very poor family. I must be rich. At all costs, by fire, by force. The Bible said, this is what is awaiting you. You will fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Why? Because what, what is making you say that you want to be rich? You say it's because of kingdom. It's not kingdom. God knows your heart. He said the root is the love of money. You see, the reason why I say I want money, I want money, it's all because you love money. It's not because you want to sponsor kingdom. You love money. <laughs> 
says because they love money, the root is all evil. That's all is awaiting you. You fall into snares and worry yourself because you love money. You don't love God. <laughs> Have you been blessed tonight? Yeah. My time is almost up. All right. So next week we will continue from here. Oh, I, I want to. I, I, I want to be rich so I can sponsor kingdom at your level. What are you sponsoring? <laughs> to your present level. You don't even tight. We are going to take offering now. You will not give the offering. <laughs> Now people come to say they don't give offering. They don't give offering. But they want to be rich by fire, by force. Well, the Bible says, they that will be rich, go back. They fall into temptation and snare and to many foolish and hateful lusts. You know why? Because the desire and the motivation for it is wrong. And when the desire and the motivation for it is wrong, you use enemies, including killing people and destroying people. Selling fake drugs. Making prescriptions that are useless. You know the patient doesn't need it, but you need the money. Am I complicating here? May the Lord give us understanding. May the Lord give us understanding. May the Lord give us understanding. Stand on your feet and declare, I'm a victor, not a victim. I rule over temptation. I dominate sin. I'm in charge. I walk in victory. I'm in charge. I walk in power. I'm in charge. I walk in wisdom. I'm in charge. Because God has made me, put me in charge. Lift up your hands and begin to give him thanks. If you want to accept Jesus and make him your Lord and Savior, you want to say this prayer after me. Mean every word and then believe it in your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, I confess that you are my Lord and my Savior. I believe with my heart that you died and rose again for me. By my belief, I am justified. And by my confession, I am saved. Thank you for saving me in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. If you pray that prayer in faith, you are a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. God bless you. We look forward to having you join us again and again. We are blessed. Pastor Afuakwa has just placed in your hands the key for all-round victory, success, and limitless prosperity. Share your testimonies with us on 020-422-5790 or email us at embassyoflifechapel at gmail.com. Get interactive with Pastor Afuakwa on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For more information, visit our website at www.embassyoflife.org. Fellowship with us this and every Sunday for our service at our headquarter church from 8.30 a.m. to 11 a.m. for our good news service. And on Wednesdays for our discovery service from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Our church auditorium is located on the top floor of Nanama Ejakuma Plaza opposite the Unity Oil Station, Santata Runabout, Kumasi, Ghana. Alternatively, you can join us online for our services on Embassy of Life Chapel, Facebook or YouTube pages. God richly bless you. Oh, no.